name of God, the holy and undivided Trinity. After the early service today, a friend mentioned to me a version of that story about David and Goliath from a a text I haven't read before. It's called the Politically Correct Old Testament. (laughs) And in this story, it goes on through the whole thing. And when it gets down to the part where David finishes his speech and Goliath speaks to him, Instead of the text we read today, Goliath says, that was the most braggadocious speech I've ever heard on a battlefield. You don't have to kill me. Just keep talking and I'll do it myself. (laughs) But it shows us how much David had confidence uh, in the one whose mighty arm would, would be victorious in that incident. Now to the gospel. Jesus has just finished a long day of teaching. He has taught the parables of the sower, the the growing seed, the mustard seed, and he's explained to his disciples the need for parables. He's exhausted from his work and he wishes to sail from the Jewish territory of Galilee to the Gentile region of the Gerasenes on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is really a lake. I'll never forget the first time that I saw it. Our tour bus stopped at the top of the the hill before descending down to the lake. And from that place, I could see the entire Sea of Galilee. And for the first time, I really uh, understood that it, it really is a lake. It's 13 miles long and eight miles wide. It's located on an ancient trade route linking Egypt with Syria and Mesopotamia. Towns founded by Greeks, Romans, and many others flourished in that region, and there was a thriving fishing industry there. Although the lake continues to provide an abundance of fish, most of those ancient towns have long since been abandoned. But in Jesus' time, people from all over the Roman world would have traveled through Galilee on their way to other places. It figures prominently in the stories of Jesus that have been handed down to us in the Gospels. On the occasion Mark tells us about today, all of the disciples of Jesus are on board. At least four of them are fishermen. Jesus finds a cushion and goes to the rear of the sleep and falls fast asleep. As local fishermen, Peter, James, John, and Andrew would have been quite familiar with the lake's unpredictable weather, including violent storms, and they would have known how to handle it. That they panic and wake Jesus up from what was probably a much-needed nap shows that this particular storm was especially intense. The storm has pushed them to their limits, In spite of their knowledge of boats and the Galilean weather, their vessel is sinking. In desperation, they wake Jesus to warn him that his own life is in danger and because they had nowhere else to turn. Their question, don't you care that we're perishing, is also a desperate cry for help. 
They wanted to be out of the danger, and so they called on Jesus. They'd seen him do other miracles. Maybe he could deliver them from this perilous situation. Their reaction to Jesus' response indicates that it was not exactly what they expected. This act of control over the elements of sea and wind and sky stunned them. In an instant, they're removed from the life-threatening situation and brought to a new place, a place not only of safety, but a place of deeper understanding, even if they could not yet fully comprehend what's happening. How often throughout the Gospels, Jesus does the unexpected. When faced with a hungry crowd and almost no food on hand, he sits the people down and feeds them all, and there's food left over. When teaching his followers who their neighbor is, the hero of the story is a despised Samaritan. When the disciples are faced with another dangerous storm on the lake, Jesus walks to them on the water. These stories that have been passed down to us for generations have become a part of the familiar fabric of our lives. We may question the mechanics of the miracles or even the thinking of the observers, but more often than not, we're not startled by Jesus' actions in quite the same way that the disciples and the others in these stories are. No matter how cynical one may be or how little one believes that miracles like those in the Gospels can actually happen, deep down, we still expect Jesus to do something. How many times in our life do we find ourselves in a storm, something beyond our ability to handle? And when we reach our limits, trying to handle the situation, we simply want out of it. And when it becomes desperate enough, we often find ourselves crying out to Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus' response can and does still take us by surprise. I've been praying, as many of you have this past week, that Jesus will put an end to the kind of thing that happened in Charleston. The killing of nine black Christians during a prayer vigil by a 21-year-old white supremacist. Jesus, don't you care that hatred, racism, and violence are at work in our world? Won't you do something to stop it? Get us out of this mess, please. We don't know what to do. And maybe his answer to our prayer will be something totally unexpected for those of us who are clueless about what can be done to once and for all change that situation. I have a friend named Wanda. She's an African-American college professor in Houston, Texas. And she's a member at Christ Church Cathedral in that city. We met when I was a canon there. Last Thursday, she wrote this on her Facebook page. Just got a dose of perspective. I've been down all day because of this SC tragedy. Except for posting and reading online, I had not talked to anyone about my thoughts. I couldn't. I couldn't even cry. Finally, called my 94-year-old aunt to tell her how depressed I was. 
She asked what I was depressed about. At first I was like, duh. Then I told her and she said, oh. But her on-phone demeanor never changed. She wasn't cheerful and she wasn't down either. She said, Jesus will handle it. And then she was ready to move on to the next subject. Lesson learned, I was naively telling a 94-year-old black woman that I was depressed about what happened in South Carolina last night. A woman who was born in Freestone County, Texas in 1921 and who went through Jim Crow and the Civil Rights Movement. At that moment, I actually felt like a wuss. I was still down, but I told her it was because my perspective came from me getting on the bus in mid-journey. I'm a young'un. I have no idea how really bad it can be. Reading about it is not living it. No matter how incredulous I am at what happened last night, it does not compare to what happened to African-American people who were born before me. Now, Jesus' response to Wanda's prayers may be as surprising as the response of her aunt. We'd all like for Jesus just to wave a magic wand and lift us out of this storm. Instead, he may find a voice like Wanda's aunt to calm the storm, rearrange our perspective, and speak peace to the racism, hatred, and violence that threaten the fabric of human society. Maybe he'll even use his church to accomplish it. But one thing is sure, for those of us willing to believe as Wanda's aunt did, Jesus will handle it. And maybe the scales will fall from our eyes and we can use those eyes of faith to see the right answer when he gives it. Rembrandt's painting, Storm on Galilee, describes that scene from Mark's gospel. In the painting, each disciple faced his fears in his own way. Two go to wake Jesus. Maybe he can do something. They're looking at Jesus in anger in the painting. One struggles to hold on to the tiller. Five wrestle with the sails. One hides in the rigging and one is on the bottom of the boat. One is crouched over in dread and one is sick. There's also one who's kneeling in front of Jesus. If you've been counting, you'll realize that Rembrandt put 13, not 12, disciples in the boat with Jesus. The extra man, the one who's kneeling, looks very much like Rembrandt. The artist puts himself in the same boat with the frightened disciples as a stand-in for us. Why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith, Jesus asks. Because we're human? Because we struggle with our fears and our limits just as those disciples did in that boat that day, in that storm. Yet if we remain open to the unexpected, we have this promise, Jesus will handle it. 
And in spite of our doubts, fears, lack of faith, he by whom and for whom all things were created in the first place, the one whom the wind and the waves obey will bring order out of the chaos that threatens us as well. And who knows? Maybe his solution won't be an obvious one. Maybe he'll even make us a part of the solution and a part of his answer to our prayers. Amen. Amen.